Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. You can scream. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of a changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't dictate it, is almost always the case during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Monday, June the 29th. 2009. This is episode 230, I think, of the Survival Podcast as we keep on trucking along in our second year now of doing the show Monday through Friday, pretty much five days a week. And on that note, I want to let you know right now, before I forget, mess it up, and don't include it in the housekeeping, um, that we are not going to have a show Thursday and Friday this week, and we probably won't have one Monday next week. I, the camera woman, are loading up the cat. The dogs are staying with the kid, and we are going off to the bug-out location, and we're going to hang out up there over 4th of July weekend and continue our uh, quest for improvement of our bug-out location and basically take a little mini-vacation at what uh, is not only our bug-out location but our vacation home and our future homestead. So that's why there won't be shows at the end of the week. And if you're tuning in on Friday and going, oh, the Black Ops guys got jacked. No, they didn't. I'm still here. We're still rocking. Still bringing you to the show. Just taking a vacation. Everybody's entitled to one. And I guess I'm not big enough to have people uh, waiting in the wings to guest host for me yet, like those big-time radio talent guys. Um, Next thing, let's go ahead and do our housekeeping today. Today we're going to talk about the state of the economy and why we might go further into recession without a recovery. Now, I actually believe that we are going to have a recovery, but it won't be a real recovery. I believe we're going to have a false recovery. I think 2010 is going to look pretty good in a lot of ways, in a lot of sectors. I think the the telecommunications industry is going to look massive in 2010, uh, domestically and around the world, because I have some inside uh, views into what's going on there. I know the construction projects that are planned, uh, but there is always the potential for me to be wrong. Uh, I am wrong often. I don't talk like I'm wrong often because I, I talk with confidence and I try to have some flair about my delivery. So, um, you know, it's easy to think this guy thinks he's always right. Know that when I get into today's subject, I might be wrong. Um, and maybe what I'm giving you today is the reasons why I'm wrong. You know, I'm willing to examine both sides of the coin here. Before that, though, let's do our housekeeping. Number one, uh, make sure you're supporting our advertisers if you can. Uh, you'll find them in the right-hand margin of our website, thesurvivalpodcast.com or thesurvivalpodcast.com, before, depending on what part of the country you're from. Um, but there is a the or a the before Survival Podcast. Our advertiser of the day is Tactical Response Gear, James Jaeger's operation. Please check those guys out. They have some of the best equipment available and some of the best training available uh, in the United States for uh, tactical needs. Uh, number two, uh, get in touch with Shannon Appleby if you're in Region 6 or can make it to the Region 6 get-together because you have to be close to Region 6. Uh, he's in Iowa. I think that's the, the planned location of the event. I think he's got some great speakers lined up. He's just looking to boost his attendance. Um, I said I wasn't going to really bring up the, sh- the judge and Freedom Watch anymore. But uh, I am, but I'm not going to be doing it with a plead for you guys to keep voting for me. By all means, though, keep voting for me. Let's push it over 3,000. I just wanted to give you guys a thank you. Um, Freedom Watch with uh, Judge Napolitano is something I've really been wanting to get on uh, this last week. I made a real push. Uh, one of my listeners, uh, Bloody Boots on the forum, submitted me as a p- possible guest. I sent out the call to you guys that said, make me number one. Uh, we have crushed the competition. We are number one in the fan poll for most suggested topics for new interviews and uh, even had a, a connection, I'll leave it at that, you can find out on the forum if you go look up the thread who the connection was, but I had a pretty tight connection make a recommendation to the producers that they give me a call um, so if I don't get on that show now something's up, something's rigged they're trying to suppress us, because you guys kicked ass and you made it happen, and thank you for it um, 
Next thing is, uh, you know, if you think you get more 25 cents in value out of every show, consider joining a member support brigade. You'll get exclusive content available only to members. You'll help support the show and the work we do. And uh, you guys are getting me real close. I think by this fall, this is going to be a full-time effort. I'm going to be able to do things with interviews and fan call-ins and all that type of thing and make the show even better. All right. Uh, on the member support brigade, I wanted to let you know something. Um, there's a major supplier out there. I won't say their name because they have a business model based on selling this membership. You'll have to join to see who it is. But it's a major supplier of preparedness uh, materials to the preparedness industry. Solar, uh, food storage, food prep, uh, a little bit of tactical stuff. Great company uh, that has a lifetime discount membership that gives discounts on their on their stuff of up to and over 20% in certain areas. Um, it's a $19 value for that discount membership, and it is lifetime. They are now part of the Member Support Brigade benefits. So you get that membership for free as an MSB member. I also just added four ebooks uh, from James Talmud Stevens to the uh, back office of the Member Support Brigade. The retail value of those is in excess of $40. Hence, there is now over $60 of benefits for a $60 annual membership, and if you pay yearly, it's 50 bucks. So now your member support brigade doesn't just come with some uh, videos that I do exclusively for members. It has uh, it pays itself back in its first uh, day, and uh, it does continue to help support the show. So I want to let you know that I won't be talking that in-depth about it every day, but I wanted to note that to you guys today. All right, so let's get into the... Um the meat and potatoes, so to speak, of today's topic. Uh, I know that house cleaning took a little longer than normal, but there was a lot to cover today. Uh, there's all kinds of buzz going on around right now about the economy. The recession is the most tar- horrible thing that ever happened to humanity. Everybody's going to die. To Oh, it ain't that bad. Keep investing. Don't worry about it. Stay the course with your financial planning. Everything will be wonderful and hunky-dory very, very soon. Okay. Um, excuse me, I don't, I don't believe either one of those stories, honestly. But I'm going to give you some reasons today that the recovery we're being told about may never come. Or maybe it's that the recovery I'm telling you about will come, which is the little recovery that looks like a recovery that's a bubble, that the, the other side of it is actually a deeper, longer, more miserable recession, thanks to, in no small part, the things I'm going to talk to you about today. And as per usual, I'm trying to bring you a different viewpoint, different vantage point, um, different things that could happen, and uh, how they'll impact this. Number one, here's something that sounds like a really good thing. Savings are up in the United States. People are saving more money, and I don't mean under their their their, um, their beds and mattresses. I mean in banks. They're de- making deposits more than ever before into their savings accounts and keeping that money in there with a positive balance. In fact, savings are up 6.9% since 1990. 6.9% higher than they were in 1990, well, 1991, in fact. Um, now, that's the good news, I guess, depending on how you look at it. Um, here's the first part of the bad news. In 1991, the savings rate, and all the way up until 2008 this year, or last year, the savings rate was zero. It was zero. Americans, on aggregate average across the board, were saving no money. I didn't count, you know, automatic 401k contributions and things like that. When it came to people actually just putting money away, saving money and having some cash in reserve in case of something going wrong, 1991 through 19 uh, or 2008, 0% savings. Now, 6.9 might sound a hell of a lot better than zero, and I guess that it is. Now, the reason I bring this up, though, is economists are currently blaming you for prolonging, deeping, and anchoring the recession because you're greedy and you're saving your money. Yep, it's your fault. You're saving your money, so you're destroying the economy because you're not out there spending it so that industry and business can grow at an unsustainable long-term rate where it always gets bigger, bigger, more, 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 more. 
instead of helping fuel that, you're being a greedy American, a bad American, an unpatriotic American by stashing your dollars away like a good little ant. I'm going to tell you, tell those people to shove it up their ass and keep putting your money in the bank. Keep saving your money. Keep cutting your expenses. Keep building up your long-term sustainability. And don't worry about whether the economy is going to recover or not, because this really doesn't have anything to do with it, at least in the way the economists are painting it. Now, it does tell us that banks are probably going to be pretty solid investments in the future as long as we don't have a total flush of the economy, which could happen. So that's a gamble. But right now, it's voting very well for the banks because they're becoming cash flush. That's a problem for them, though. Now they're going to have to start loaning money. Because banks are not in business to hold money, they're in business to make money. And the only way they can make money is by investing it. Now, here's the interesting statistic, and there's an article I'll post a link to today uh, that you can get the statistic from. I didn't make it up out of thin air. But from 1960 up to 1990, when America started disposing of all their money, the savings rate was higher. It was 9%. From 1960 to 1990, the savings rate on average was 9%. We had good years and we had bad years. We had some really terrible years in the 70s. We had some decent years in the 80s. We had some pretty good years in the 60s. And we had a savings rate of 9%. So 6.9% is not too high. That's a lie. But what it does say is that the status quo of what we've considered to be a good, growing, robust, solid economy, what people are satisfied with, what people are happy with, is done, at least for now. Now, the sheep may go back to sleep and stop saving their money and start spending it again. They might. But if they don't, and as long as they don't, that world doesn't exist anymore, and I say goodbye and good riddance. However, there is some truth to what the economists are saying, that if money's not flowing, if not only the bank... Remember the problem that supposedly caused all this was the bank stopped lending, right? That's because they were going to go broke. They couldn't afford to lend anymore because they were getting paid back. But that was supposedly the problem, that the financial market seized up. And all these stimuluses and, and all this trillions of dollars that wasn't even part of the vote that the Fed pumped back door into the banks was designed to unclog the machine and get it going again and get interbank lending happening again. But what we have now is not the banks, a few, holding much, holding back the spending and the flow of money. We have something much more powerful. We have the individual holding back a little, adding up to a lot, holding back the money. In other words, Joe Sixpacks are saying, you know what? I'm going to drink one less six-pack in May, and I'm going to put just a little bit more money in my savings account. I'm going to drink some discount six-packs, but one way or another, I'm going to put some money away every month. I'm going to start building up a savings. I'm not going to put it in the stock market. I'm not going to increase my 401k contribution like the talking head moron idiot Susie Orman just told me on the Money Network or the Money Channel or CNN Money or wherever else they booked her happy little stupid ass. Okay? Oh, don't worry. It'll be fine. Stay the course. Everything's on sale. Yeah, everything is on sale, Susie. Commodities and hard assets are on sale. Stock market, I'd be very careful. I certainly would dump all my money in there. And the Joe Six Packs are waking up and going, you know what? We built this damn country. We're going to retain some of this money. So in mass, that total group of people holding back their spend will cause the economy to continue either to contract or fail to expand. I don't think that's necessarily bad. I keep telling you guys this. This, this myth that our economy can always be expanding, always be bigger, always be turning higher returns, always have prices go up and have everybody's wages come up commensurate with the price increase, i.e. what they call positive inflation, is bullshit. It can't continue, but it will hurt short term. The things I'm talking to you today are like chemotherapy for a cancer patient. They make the patient really sick. Sometimes they kill the patient. Can't overlook that side effect. But usually it causes hair loss, nausea, vomiting. And when they work, you end up with a cancer-free patient at the end. Well, we've got cancer. This country has deep financial cancer that is metastasized to every part of the economy. And it's going to take deep, near-death chemo to cure it. And the thing is, this savings is one form of that chemotherapy. And I think that the people are beginning to understand 
that you've been lied to. That stupid Discover card commercial I talked about last fall. It's a consumer-driven economy, and nothing's wrong with this. Oh, God, you got to watch this. If you've never seen it, folks, it's on YouTube. I'll find it for you today. You've got to watch this commercial. It is the embodiment of the consumer level of financial cancer in America. And Americans have decided to cure themselves, damn the side effects. Good for America, long term, but short term, look out for its impact. The next one, cap and trade. Cap and trade, the climate change bill, okay? The, the pollution bill. We're going to create green jobs and green energy and make new jobs, and it'll be wonderful. And it just passed the House, and it might pass the Senate. Um, my hope is that this becomes a non-issue, because I think the Senate's going to kill this thing. Because I think a third of the Senate has to run for re-election next election. I think this is a bad bill. I don't think it makes environmentalists happy, and I don't think it makes capitalists happy. So it doesn't make anybody happy except global socialists like the Obamas. Now, the reason I even bring cap and trade into this, though, is I want to point out to you, if you're a believer in this thing, how flawed the entire system is. Let's talk about what this thing actually is for a minute to understand its economic and political impact around the world. The way this works, as simply as I can put it, let's say you're Joe and you own Joe's Electric Company. This could be any manufacturing facility, anybody that's an industrial company, but let's just make it Joe's Electrical Company. Now, you have a friend, his name is Sam. He's your competitor, but your friendly competitors, he owns Sam's Electric Company. Now, the thing is, Joe, you have a few less customers than Sam. Um, but the government sees you as the same size. You're using more green energy than Sam, and, you know, you've done some things like um, you have all your big facilities are well planted with trees, and maybe you went out and bought a big chunk of forest somewhere that you actually plan on destroying someday, but for right now it's just standing there, so you are protecting those trees because you own them. So with your credit for the positive things that you're doing and your lower overall emissions because of how you're producing and how much electricity you're producing, you don't exceed your limit under the cap because that's what the cap's about. You have an emissions limit. Let's call it a million tons of carbon. And I don't know what the hell that even means because I think it's bullshit, but let's call it a million tons of carbon. You only actually emit 75 um, uh, 750,000 tons of carbon. So you have a quarter million um, carbon credit, let's call it that, right? Now, Sam, he exceeds his allowance by 200,000 tons of carbon. So what they do in this scenario is Sam turns to you, Joe, and writes you a check and purchases your carbon credits and then turns that into the government and says, I'm under, I'm, you know, I met my cap. I'm, I'm drained on my cap. I'm solid. The government says, okay. So how much emissions have been reduced? You know, should I have Jeopardy music? Do, 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 do. You shouldn't need it. Zero. There's been no reduction in emissions at all. That's all it's done is it's created a market to sell your excess to other people. That's what the cap effectively does. Now, if you don't find somebody else to buy it from, all right, then you have to pay a fine. Right? Well, if the fine, in many cases, will be less expensive than reducing your business, you'll pay the fine. And once you pay the fine, what will you do? You'll pass on the expense to the consumer. All right? That's all this is. And, of course, when I buy a show and I, buy, and I sell Sam credit so Sam can meet the thing, that's income and the government taxes it. Can you see how nobody wins in this except the government? Now, of course, this is going to require us to put windmills in and everything like the, like the grand stimulus was supposed to do. Right? Which hasn't happened. And it ain't going to happen. Stimulus has created 150,000 jobs. The best, most conservative on the side of the administration uh, uh, suggestions right now are that during the time we've made 150,000 out of the stimulus, we've lost 1.6 million. So, 1.6 million lost, 150,000 created. We have a net job loss of what? 1.45 million? Yay! Wonderful! Go Barack, right? And, and, and to be fair to Barack Obama, I, it's not about him. 
This whole thing is about the government as a whole, Democrats and Republicans alike. All the things that this ass clown is doing today were set up and handed to him by the last ass clown, George Bush. All right? That's exactly what happened. Think about it. Bush bailed out the auto industry. Bush did the first big, giant, super-duper stimulus and a second one. And he passed the ball to Barack, and Barack's done the exact same thing that Bush did. All right? So when I come down on Barack, I'm coming down on all of them. I want you to understand it's important because I don't want to lose credibility with you because you just think I'm bashing one of these guys. I'm bashing the system. And what really amounts to nothing but a bunch of gangsters and thieves that are stealing America's wealth for their own political bullshit. So that's that's what cap and trade is. Now, how's it going to affect us? Well, it's going to raise the price of energy. And when you raise the price of energy, you raise the price of everything. So there's your there's your inflation. If cap and trade gets through the the Senate, it creates inflation all by itself. It doesn't create new jobs. Understand this. When the government tells you they're creating jobs, they're eliminating jobs. All the government can do is say, you know what, we're going to pass a law that says all Americans have to start using um, 9 by 12 instead of 8.5 by 11 paper. Right? And then after they pass that law, there's all these new jobs building tools uh, to create 9 by 12 paper because 8.5 by 11 is now outlawed. And then they have to build new copy machines. So look at all this new business. Look how many jobs get lost. Tell me what the net gain is. All right? This is like, just to make this like almost comical but sad, this is like the, uh, the professional shopping housewife. Yeah, it was these housewives. I call them professional shoppers. I see them around Frisco and Plano at lunchtime all the time. And you see these women, and basically you can tell what they do every day. Like the old man's loaded, but he works his ass off for being loaded. So she, you know, packs the kids up in the SUV every day, gets everybody dressed up. She dolls herself up, and they go out and they shop every freaking day, right? And then, you know, there's the old joke about she comes home and says, look at all the money I saved you because she bought everything on sale. And she goes out and she spends a thousand thousand dollars uh but if she bought it at full price it would have been two thousand dollars she says i saved a thousand dollars no you didn't you spent a thousand dollars folks understand this the things that work on a small scale work on a big scale the things that don't work on a small scale don't work on a big scale Whenever you see the government doing something and making a claim, break it down and say, if we were doing this in our household with proportional numbers, would it hurt or damage the household? And what you would see is if you create money by spending it, it always damages you long term. That's what this thing is. This thing stinks. And now here's the big stinker in the whole thing. Of course, the United States can't pass a law that limits the uh, CO2 emissions of Mexico or Canada or the U.K. or China or Germany or Australia or New Zealand or anywhere else. Because if we did, you know what they would say? You know what? Up yours. We don't care. We're going to do what the hell we want. We are our own sovereign nation. There's no overlord global global government yet, and we have our own sovereignty, and you can take your emissions, and you can stick them in your ass. We have our own standards, right? So the people in the, in the Congress that realized this thing we're going to pass decided, well, there is something we could do. We could say that what we're going to do is we're going to impose a tariff on any nation that doesn't meet the guidelines um, by 2020. So it gives them, you know, 10 years. Easy to meet these things. That way we'll make American industry competitive. Because what we'll say is the same thing that the American company has to comply with, the Chinese company has to comply with, and if they fail to comply with it, then we'll level the playing field by issuing a tariff. Let me say, I think that's a bad idea. Okay, But I think doing cap and trade without it is a worse idea. I don't want to do either one. But if we're going to do cap and trade, this type of tariffing system that levels the field so that American businesses compete, can, can, can compete successfully for American business makes a lot of sense if you're married to this stupidity in the first place. All right? So I want to be sure you understand that. I don't want to hear, I can't believe you're for protectionist tariffs. I'm not. But if you're going to do this, then you got to do something on the other side of it. 
So let's say, see how this would work. Let's say that in 2020, we still have an American car company building American cars in America. Let's say we still have one of those. I don't know that we will, but we do. We actually have a Japanese company building cars in Japan. And if the Japanese company doesn't have to follow the same restrictions with emissions that the American company does, they get yet another cost advantage. So it becomes even less expensive to build a car in Japan and bring it to America and sell it without the cap-and-trade bogey over your head that it doesn't build a car in America. Will this create more jobs or cost more jobs in America? You know, do I need the Jeopardy music for you again? It's going to cost us jobs. How simple is that to understand? That you, The more you do to make it less expensive to do business outside of America and more expensive to do business inside of America, the more companies will move their operations outside of America. Duh. Of course, again, put it down to something that will make sense for you on your own level. You are moving to a new apartment, right? You don't have a house. You have an apartment. If you have a house now, go back to when you were, you know, you didn't have a house. You had an apartment. You can live in one of two different apartments. In one apartment, you have a, a, an oversight committee, a huge oversight like homeowners association, that's going to get in your face and cause you a lot of grief and not let you do things like you want to do. Like they're going to tell you, this is an apartment complex, you can't have a barbecue grill, just for instance, because it emits carbon and we're, we're green. And the rent is really high. It's $2,000 a month for a two-bedroom apartment. Absolutely insane expensive. Now, just on the other side of town, you can get an apartment with all the amenities you ever wanted, much less oversight and control from management. They're happy to let you have your barbecue grill. In fact, they have free barbecue grills out in the middle of the complex for community use, and you can have your own. And the rent is $800 for a three-bedroom. Which apartment would you rent? Assuming you're not going to get shot in the ass on the outside of the cheap one. Assuming that everything is pretty much equal. Equal distance from work, right? Overall, cost of living is the same. The only thing that changes is your cost of rent and your living conditions. You're going to rent the less expensive, less oppressive apartment. So we're going to make our economy in the United States more expensive and more oppressive and then think that's going to build our economy. Yeah, I mean, you just have to look at this and realize how freaking stupid it is. And then, oh, who doesn't want this, um, you know, this uh, this mandate, this uh, tariff system to make sure that the, the countries that are outside of us, Obama, and Obama came out and said, glad you guys got that thing through the House, but as we work it through the Senate, we're going to have to get rid of this thing. This, this leveling the playing field for other nations, I, I didn't mean that. I mean, we should level the playing field in America by taxing the rich and giving to the poor and redistributing wealth. I, I don't think that we should be on a level playing field with China and India and Japan and Brazil. I mean, we've been raping the world's resources forever. We don't want to appear protectionist. So basically, the Obama administration is on the side of, let's tax the hell out of America. Let's destroy America's competitiveness under the auspices of we're going to build windmills. And then let's not do a damn thing to make the rest of the world play ball with us. Let's let them do whatever they want, and let's send what's left of America's industry abroad so that we can redistribute wealth everywhere, which is what the guy's goal really is. And that's not me talking, it's him talking. He's pretty dadgone clear that that's what he wants to do. So I guess I've beat up on Obama enough, but let me just say, I again, this is not about Barack Obama. This is about the whole damn group of thugs up there. And uh, I don't know, watch this this tariffing thing be used as a, as a chess piece and be one of the things he gets killed in the bill to get the bill through. Just remember this about cap and trade. It will increase the expense of all energy in the United States. When we increased the cost of gasoline last year, you saw what happened. The price of everything around it went up. So now we're going to increase the uh, price of all energy. We're going to put that money into the hands of the same corporate people that Barack Obama is supposed to be waging war against and redistributing to the little guy. Because remember, it's the big corporate guys that are going to be selling their, their credits to other corporate guys. Got it? Understand where that goes. They're going to tax that money drive up the cost of everything, 
And we got to make damn sure that we don't do anything to make the rest of the world compete with the American business that has to deal with these stipulations. That's cap and trade in a nutshell. You decide what you think it's going to do to our economy. Now, I'm going to give you another thing that I think could be massively bad for the economy, short term. Before I tell you what it is, I want you to understand something. Because I don't want a bunch of email from a bunch of Ron Paul supporters jumping my shit. Because I support Ron Paul too, and I support this bill. It's a bill to audit the Federal Reserve. Okay, I am 100% for this. But just like if I were a general, and you were my, my, my majors and my, my captains and my lieutenants, and I was addressing you, and you're going to now go address your troops, and we're going to go off into a battle together, if we're going to get shot at, blown up, and we're going to have a casualty number of, let's say, 20% of our troops are going to die, and that includes me and you could be one of those 20%, because we're all in this shit together, and we're all taking the battlefield together, then I owe it to you to tell you our casualty estimates are up in the neighborhood of 20%. This is going to suck. Here's the objective. Here's why we're doing it. Here's why it's worth doing. Go tell your men the same. Get their buy-in, and let's go fight this damn war and kill the enemy. Right? That's and that were you people that don't like the military, you don't think that's the way that it works, you're out of your freaking mind. Because I was there and I received those type of briefings for Desert Storm, the first Gulf War. And it would have happened is the casualty estimates were way higher than what ended up being the result. But we were told casualties in the neighborhood of at least ten percent were expected. At least ten. This is a couple months before, you know, the whole thing kicked off. The actual war part that lasted three days, not the Desert Shield side of the operation. We were told to expect chemical weapons dumped on us. We weren't lied to and said, no, don't worry, you'll be fine, you'll be impervious. All right? So this is the way you handle a battle. Or if you're going to be, back to my original now, you're going to be a doctor, I'm going to give you chemotherapy as a cancer patient. I owe it to you to tell you this could kill you. If we don't do it, I think you're going to die anyway. You're going to puke, your hair is going to fall out, and you're going to vomit. You're going to feel miserable, and we're going to take you to the edge of death before we start to rebuild your immune system in your body. And it's, it's with this kind of cancer you have, this is the only way I know to save you. And then I owe it to you to let you as a patient make the decision. I could die anyway. This may not be worth it. I'm going to forego chemo, and I'm going to live out the rest of my life, however that may be, and when the cancer takes me, it takes me. Or I'm going to go seek another form of treatment because I don't believe this guy has all the answers. All right? But I owe it to you to tell you what the treatment or the battle will do to you and what the risks are. Well, here's the risk with audit the Fed. Why do you think we want to audit the Fed in the first place? Do you think it's because we'll go in there and we'll count all the money and see where it went and determine that everything's wonderful? Or do you think that the reason that we want to audit the Fed is because we think that they're a bunch of thieves and that they've done massive injustice with our money? That there's money that's been distributed everywhere. That there's money that's supposedly in the economy that's been taken out of the economy. That there's all kinds of massive problems with what the Federal Reserve is doing with money and monetary policy. And that if we actually dug in there, we'd see how bad it really is. Do you think that maybe Ron Paul gave up on the quest so much to get rid of the Fed and switched over to something much more palatable of let's audit the Fed, something that would gain popular support so that when people saw what was really going on in there, then that would rally support, massive support, to actually end the Federal Reserve System. In other words, do you think when we perform the audit, if we ever get the opportunity, that the results of the audit will be the Federal Reserve is a great sainthood-like organization that's always had the best interest of the American people at heart, or that the results will be more akin to the Federal Reserve has been systematically destroying the United States economy and redistributing wealth to other parts of the world, and we've also, at the same time we've redistributed that wealth, kept it in the hands of the elite, and we've basically screwed our, our creditors like China royally, totally up the butt. Which one of those two do you think is more likely? So, I ask you, my friend, if we have that audit, let's say that it gets to the House, 
But it goes over to the Senate, and people are way on it, and they're cheering for it. The Senate's like, shit, we got to do this. They're going to get us if we don't do this. So the Senate passes it. Goes up to the president. Sign it or die, buddy. The people have spoken. Let's say he vetoes it. And it gets overridden. Or let's say he signs it. One way or another, it passes that we're going to audit the Fed. We haven't even started to audit the Fed yet. Stock market, do you think it's on that day, is going to go up or down? Down. Because the jig is up. The lies are about to be uncovered. And then there'll be all this fighting and all this distraction. And then there'll be all this debate about even though we've said we're going to do it, should we really do it? And people will come to you and make the same case I'm making to you. If we find bad things, it'll make things worse. We should, we should do this on a light version first. We should, we should appropriate some auditors, internal auditors, to do and let them report to, all kinds of bullshit. But eventually, if we peel back the covers... And we see what's going on inside there. It will rip the economy in half. Because it will become immediately apparent to the most casual observer that your dollar in your pocket is a debt certificate instead of money. People will understand the system. They will understand even as bad as the system was, how it's been manipulated and abused. And it will make U.S. fiat currency almost worthless at once it will be a smashing blow to the short term economy of the United States it will cause a lot of the things that we as preppers prepare for to happen and people like Ron Paul are saying you got cancer you're going to get sick, throw up, be in pain have your hair fall out anyway take the chemo maybe it will save you I don't know if it will But we're going to die anyway if we don't do this. So we have to start treating the illness. We have to start addressing the root cause of the disease. And it all comes from the Federal Reserve. So, again, I'm for this. I want the Federal Reserve audited. I'm prepared to take my lumps when the economy falters because we find out what the heck has really been going on. I'm prepared to deal with the situation. I just want to be honest with people. I don't want everybody to think that, like, if we audit the Federal Reserve, a unicorn's going to fly through the air and then fart rainbows. All right? That ain't going to happen. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We're treating a terminal patient and trying to save its life. In many situations in that case, the treatment at first appears worse than the illness. Because the illness is that tumor growing inside of you, right? Or it's that bacteria or virus that's just infected a new host. It gives you sneeze, sniffles, pain, what have you, depending on what the illness is. And then you go and you start to kill it, and your body and your immune system starts fighting. And the disease rages back, and it looks worse. But the only way to cure the terminally ill patient is to treat the disease. That's what Audit the Fed is the first stage of. It's dropping that IV bag of chemotherapy at first treatment into the patient. And the thing is, if you give them one treatment and then quit, you'll hasten death. So we better be prepared, if we get our way with this audit bill, to immediately push for abolishment. Because if we start to pull the covers back and see how bad it is, and go, whoa, 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 close the patient. There are too many tumors. Close the patient back up. Stitch them up. Just let them be. We're going to hasten death. Because as soon as oxygen hits those tumor cells, they start to grow faster. That's exactly what can happen here. So you better, if you want to be part of this, you better be ready for the battle. You better be ready for the war. And you better be ready to keep fighting it after stage one. It's important that people realize what we're really talking about here. The next thing I think that's going to affect the economy, and nobody's really talking about the economic impact, is we have food shortages coming. Globally. Not maybe, not possibly, definitely. Every major multi-billionaire is putting money into food one way or another. Soros and Rogers buying farms and commodities. And everywhere you look, you see that coming. And I won't go deep into food shortages today, because I really don't need to. I've done it before. But I'll tell you what. 
when there's less of something, Economics 101, I guess all these experts in Washington that caused this problem and now are trying to solve it, I guess they don't understand Economics 101, supply and demand. When there's less of something, it costs more. Go out and buy ammo lately. You see what 9mm, 45 uh, ACP, 223-308-762, right? See what this stuff costs recently? Why? There's less of it on the supply side because everybody started buying it. So when that increased the demand curve, price went up. Commensurate with it. Well, you know what? When we have a 3 or 4% shortfall of food globally, which is what we're headed for in two years, Guess what's going to happen to the price of food? So we already know we're going to drive up the price of energy in this country. We're going to drive up the price of food. So we're going to have inflation that's based solely, solely on demand capacity. And then we're adding to it all the fake money that we pumped in for a standard inflation rate that's going to make things look ridiculous. So what do I see for the economy in 2012, 2013, 2014? Massive runaway inflation. Because I don't see another outcome. I don't see anything else that can happen when you do these things. And then when you add something to it, like a shortage of a commodity, how can you not expect the price of that commodity to rise? And when food prices go up by, let's say, 25%, it doesn't hurt upper middle class, wealthy, affluent. It doesn't hurt them real bad. They downgrade what they buy. They shop a little smarter. They just say the hell with it and they spend a little more. It hurts the poorest among us. So I think what's going to happen, this is what you're going to see. You will see rioting in this country. You will see people in the streets. You know, you will see civil disobedience. But you know what? The first time you see it, remember this. It is not going to be people like us. It's not going to be patriots. It's not going to be people calling for the government to step out of the way. It's going to be the poorest among us, and it's going to be riled up by groups like ACORN. There I said it. The government's little pet organizations will create the first civil disobedience. And they're going to scream for the government to do more because it's getting worse, even though the government caused it. And those will be the true sheeple down there, folks. The true people that do whatever they're told to do. They're going to do it. Hey, you want bigger welfare checks? Come with me, get in the bus, we'll take care of it for you. Those are the people that you're going to see the first rioting in the streets with, the first civil disobedience with, the first oppression against. The government will both prop them up and squash them down and then say we have to help. They'll put in more oppression and they'll put in more programs and they'll make the problem worse. That's where, we're, again, I'm not being gloomsday. I'm not being doomsday. I'm telling you, there's unless we make a radical change, unless we we give the chemotherapy to the patient now and start trying to correct it, there's no other place to go. What I'm telling you is both fixing the problem and making it worse are going to have a short-term negative effect. The only difference we have is what's it going to be like 20 years from now. That's a choice we have to make today. And then the last one, this one I don't know about. Like I said at the beginning, um, job losses currently in the United States for 2009 are around 1.6 million. And the stimulus uh, bill, the spendulous bill, has created 150,000 jobs today, which is just, I, it makes me sick to think we've spent $700 billion and we've created 150,000 jobs. Give me $700 billion, buddy. I'll show you some economic stimulus. All right? And I'll show you some low-cost energy. Oh my God, what, what, it, what, a, what a person with a brain could do with $750 million, let alone $750 billion. Anyway, I read an article today that disturbs me. And it basically says that we're being lied to. And I can't co corroborate this article, but I can't squash it either. It says the job losses in 2009 are actually going to be around 20 million jobs lost. A lot of them will be offset by people taking lower income jobs, um, doing whatever they have to do, starving to death with a small home business, whatever. But the real job loss numbers for 2009 will be 20 million. That we're losing over a million jobs a month right now. The government is playing voodoo with the statistics to, uh, to lie to us. 20 million people not working. New people not working. In 2008, well, God, folks, that's about 8% more than we went into the year with. 
I don't mean 8% more as in 8% plus, right? 8% of the total population of the United States. Well, if that number is true, then our actual unemployment rate will be over 20% by the end of this year. Now, the government might tell us it's 10-1, which will cause the market to go nuts on a negative. Because once it breaks 10, oh my God, the world has ended. Like 9.9 and 10.1 are that different, but that psychological barrier will be crossed. But 20 million people losing their jobs. Think about what that really means for our economy. And what I want to explain to you today is you don't have to accept any of this. And I don't mean whether you think I'm right or wrong about it. I mean, you don't have to accept it. You could start out at point number one by being the person saving your money. Right? And being smart about where you spend your money. And buying things for the long term. Investing in your own alternative sources of energy. Investing in your own ability to produce food. Planting some freaking trees, bushes, and vines around your house that actually have a purpose and will feed you. You can be the evil, greedy American that saves 10 to 20% of your income after you pay off your debt and never go into debt again. You can be that guy. And in all of these scenarios, up, down, sideways, you'll be better off. That's who you need to be. Don't let some talking head freaking moron that doesn't live in your world, you know, that that, that spends $5,000 a day, okay, flying around the country telling other people how to live within their means. Don't let that talking head on CNN money or any of these other shows, don't let people like Kramer and Susie Orman and all these other freaking pea brains tell you that it's wrong for you to save more than you need to. Every financial advisor in the world, or at least in America, has at least a 10% bogey that we should be saving. You should save 10% of your money. The American people start to save 6.9% of our money, and we're told by the experts that caused the catastrophe, we're saving too much. Bullshit, you're not saving enough. Right now, you listening to me this second, you're not saving enough. Go find a freaking quarter a week extra to save. A quarter. Start small. I'll tell you what happens when you start putting money in a bank account saving it and watching the balance grow you get addicted to it it starts to feel really good go cut an expense this week cut something if you buy a coffee at the store three days a week buy it too cut something right if you eat out five times a month cut it down to four don't radically alter your life, but just like our government told you to go out and shop after 9-11, I'm telling you, 9-11 never went away. Start saving. Your patriotic duty today is to save. Because what came out in this article I started out talking about, about us saving our money, do you know what it actually does, folks? Do you know the reality of more Americans saving money? We become less freaking dependent on foreign debt when Americans put their money in our own banks. Shocking! If the banks have money because we put our money in the bank, they don't have to borrow it from the Fed. And where does the Fed get their money? Well, they create it. But how do they create it? They borrow it before they create it. So if we put our money in our banks, if we save our cash, if we don't spend it so freely, that means we're also not borrowing it as freely either, then we have less throughput through the system. We have a sustainable cash flow versus an unsustainable one, so we don't have to go to the well of fake money to use somebody else's fake money to create more of our fake money. So you keep saving. Don't you let these people lie to you. Don't you so... It drives me crazy. I see it in forums. I see it in blogs, especially in kind of the left-wing blogs. And even the right-wing blogs. That spending is patriotic. Go out and spend your money. When, they, when, they, when Bush cut all these stimulus checks, and people were saying, I'm saving money. People were saying, don't save it. We're supposed to blow it. Spend it. That'll stimulate the economy. It didn't stimulate anything. It didn't stimulate a damn thing. You know what makes a country stable? People that feel safe make a country stable. Not people that feel safe because the strong hand of government holds their throat down while it keeps the other wolves off them. It makes them a slave. But people that feel safe because they feel that they can provide for themselves. Do you know when people are willing to go out and buy a new car? 
when they have a big fat bank account, they can put a huge down payment on it, have a very small leveraged payment on it, save a ton of money in interest, or write a check for the car cash and still have a big fat bank account. That's when people start buying cars again. Because they feel safe in the purchase. Because now they're buying it because it's gotten to, you know what, when you write a check for $30,000 to buy a new car, you need a new car. You don't write that check unless you need a new car. When you have to write a check every month for $350, you'll buy a new car because you want one. Needs versus wants. These are things that our elementary school teachers talked to us about before we started looking at a math problem and ask, you know, looking at you know four plus nine and a kid struggles with it. And we, instead of saying, you know what, four plus nine is thirteen, memorize it because you need this. Now we say, well, how does it make you feel? And then we judge how it makes them feel, and then we give them an A for feeling the right way. Before we started doing nonsense like that with our children in our schools. When things had a standard, and when there was a right answer versus a wrong answer, and when people were held accountable to that right or wrong answer, when that used to exist, then grade school teachers and junior high and high school teachers used to tell students, save your money, kids. Save your money. Understand the difference between wants and needs. These were basics that were built into most people in our generation. When I say our generation, I'm talking about most of the people who listen to this show. And from what I can tell, my average listener is somewhere between the age of 30 and 60. I have some younger, I have some older, but I have a bunch of them between 30 and 60. So I'm 37, so I know if you're in that age bracket, what you were told, what you were taught, what our values were as children, what our parents told us, what our grandparents told us. They were these simple things. You don't get more money by spending it. Debt is bad. Only use a credit card. Never, right? That's when. You, when did your grandmother use her credit card? How many grandmothers in 1985 had a credit card? I want to know. If your grandmother had a credit card in 1985 that she used, tell, send me an email. I want to know. Not grandmothers today. Grandmothers in 1985 that owned credit cards. There was almost none of them. And our country was okay. You see, this lie that we have to be in debt for the economy to grow is a lie. We've had all of this shit sold to us since 1990 going forward. We were told, you got to spend more money, have what you want today. Grow the economy. Don't worry, you're nobody in this country unless you owe somebody money. No, I'll tell you what. Go back to valuing your roots. Because I know what your roots are. They're very simple. Always put a little bit away for a rainy day. Remember the story of the grasshopper and the ant. Believe that you control your own destiny and that no one else is going to solve your problems. Don't expect anybody else to solve your problems. Expect that other people will create problems and that you will own them and you will have to deal with them. That's reality. That's what we have to deal with going forward. And whether the economy is going to go into a state of long-term recovery or long-term recession, doesn't matter. Your solution's the same. Be prepared for anything because right now we're in a situation where either side of that coin is going to create grief for a while. Be prepared for it. And understand there's nothing coming your way that you can't handle as long as you're ready to deal with it. And you've accepted the fact that you control your own destiny. If you've accepted that, you're going to go a long way toward taking care of yourself and taking care of your family. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler It really doesn't matter Cause it all gets spent